All right, we have one week left of our dance lessons. Uh, that is tonight, 5 o'clock, and I think, uh, I don't, did I put the Sokolowskis? I don't know who I put on there for desserts tonight. I just know it's not my group, so somebody figure it out and bring dessert. Um, on the back of your listening guides, I want you to do something for me. There's a, there's a space on the back under the announcements, only three announcements this week. I want you to draw a mountain. Here is your mountain. Can everybody do that? All right, everybody can draw a mountain. It's just close encounter. Okay. Now, here's what I want you to do. I want you to put out here to the side, just start and write stage one. All right, and then you can just do two, three, four, five, six, and seven. All right? Easy enough? Have I got that? That's going to be real important because in a minute I'm going to have you identify where you are based on the totals that you did on your evaluation a few minutes ago. All right? Let's don't do that yet. Let's, let's just go through them one at a time and, and let's see where you end up. I've done quite a few weddings in my time and uh, I've never, never stood in front of somebody who said to me, this is just a temporary deal. We just decided that we're going to get married and when it gets tough, we'll bail. But, you know, we're going to go through all the formalities anyway because this is, you know, this isn't going to last. Nobody has ever said that. Everybody starts off their wedding with this, this dream of what their marriage is going to be like, right? So what we're going to do over these next two weeks, today and next week, we're going to finish up our Two to Tango series. We're going to look at marriages in crisis because every marriage is in a stage of crisis. We just need to figure out which stage we are in and figure out how to get back to that top stage, which is the dream stage. Now, I don't know how long it took you to realize that, that you didn't marry the perfect person. And don't answer that out loud. Just those are thoughts that should stay inside your head. Um, but all of us move away from the dream. So the first stage up there on your listening guide is the dream stage. And if you want more um, information about this, I got this whole marriage map. That's what this is called, is a marriage map from Dr. Gary and Barb Rosberg in a book called Six Secrets to a Lasting Love. Great book. What we're going to do is we're going to look at an overview of the marriage map, try to help you identify where you are on the map. Or if you are not married, then think about somebody who is that maybe they could uh, use this information. Maybe God placed you here because you're in their life and God may want to use you as an instrument to help them get back on the right track and move back to the dream stage. Now, the dream stage is the first stage of marriage and anybody who's ever entertained the idea of getting married has a dream of what that marriage would be like. Now, for guys, especially young guys, it probably includes incredible sex, incredible food, incredible house, incredible spouse. Probably in that order. I don't know. You might switch the spouse and the house. But incredible sex. And I have to share this because um, 12 years ago when I came to Palestine, I was a youth minister and we went to Piney Woods Baptist Encampment. And, and one night, somehow I think the evangelist talked about... Were you there? I think you were there. Uh, the, the evangelist talked about... Um, <laughs> sex. And so when we go back to the, the dorm room, there's like 20 guys in this room and I'm about to turn the lights out and we're about to, to go to sleep and suddenly these questions come up. And somebody started, we started talking about sex. And so, so, well, it was called the underwear talk because I was just about to crawl into bed and so I'm standing there in my underwear and I'm sorry for the image, but if it helps you remember this, if it helps you remember, then I'm willing to go there. 
So I'm just about to get in my sleeping bag, and one of the guys starts asking me questions about sex. Well, it ends up taking about an hour, and there's a couple of guys there. One of them is Andrew at the back. Um, Andrew and one of his best friends, they're just talking about, yeah, well, we're going to have sex all the time when we get married. And I said, okay, let's just stop. These are 17-year-old guys. They're seniors in high school. They know everything about relationships. I said, time out. How many times do you think, on average, you're going to have sex when you get married? He and the other guy look at each other. They look at me total dead serious. They go, at least seven times a week. (laughs) That's right. Is that what you said? Um, You're married. That's where I was going. I was going to ask you if the dream was still alive. Now, she just had a baby, so I guarantee you the dream hadn't been alive for a little while. Um, Stop, stop, stop. We don't need to go any further. Um, you'll get your chance another time, Drew. So uh, anyway, I just had to tell you because guys have this dream of what marriage is going to be and it's all sex all the time. And that's such a small part of the marriage relationship. And uh, of course, we talked about that last week and if you want to hear the sex talk, you can get that you know, from, from Drew. He, he's got it back there on the computer or you can go to iTunes and you can download it. Now, for women though, Sex is not the number one thing. Women, it's romancing. It's nice long walks and talks till wee hours of the morning. It's having this guy be protector and provider and understand and listen and romance her, right? And it's so totally different than, than reality, um, especially if you marry a blockhead, and, and most men are blockheads. And by the way, ladies, we cannot, we cannot read your minds. So, so never say, and some of you have already said, I know you've said, never say, well, if I have to tell you, it's not worth it. You are going to be the most frustrated woman on the planet because he's never going to get it if you don't tell him what you want him to do. So whether it's on the honeymoon or ten years later, what happens to the dream? All right, we start here at the dream, and then we realize that we got issues, and, and our marriage starts down this slope. All right, the dream's up here on, a per- on purpose because this is where we all want to be, but we don't all exist there. And if we're not careful, then, then what's going to happen? Well, whether we're careful or not, what's going to happen is you are going to move to stage two. Stage two is the disappointment stage because um, marriage is work. It's a four-letter word, and it's work. It's not a dirty word, but marriage is hard work, sometimes excruciating work in order to get this thing... To, uh, to be where we want it to be. And most of us, just from inertia, if nothing else, once we start down the slope, rather than work hard to get back to the dream stage, we just think this is natural. Yes, it is natural, but it doesn't have to stay there. You can move back to the dream stage, but you've got to do some work. You've got to make a choice that you're going to do that. And really, it takes two people. We've got a lot of folks who've gone through divorce, and, and please don't think that I'm, I'm casting stones because I'm not. Um, What I want you to do is realize that all marriages, and if you get into another marriage, if you don't do the work to heal from your previous marriage, you're going to carry the same stuff into the next marriage, and it's going to hurt. So what we want to do is we want to reverse the trend, and this is how we're going to do it, by looking at this marriage map. Now, I want you to raise your hand if you're breathing. Almost all of you are breathing. Okay, now, keep it up. Whoa, whoa, keep it up. Right hand. Repeat after me as if you were on the witness stand, all right? Here's what I want you to say. I will disappoint my spouse. Whether you're married or not, it's going to happen if you get married. So say, I will disappoint my spouse. Now, I want you to say it as if you mean it. 
I will disappoint my spouse. Ready? I will disappoint my spouse. Keep your hands up. Keep your hands up. Now, I want you to say, my spouse will disappoint me. And don't say that one with as much enthusiasm as you just did. See, some of you were like, oh, yeah, I'll disappoint my spouse. My spouse will disappoint me. Okay, put your hands down. Now, disappointment happens in every marriage. But here it is. Here's the difference between a good marriage and a bad marriage. Um, bad marriages are, able, are not able to quickly and fairly deal with our spouses. Good marriages are. And so if you have some painful memories of some bad uh, experiences, let's, let's figure out what happened and let's try to do things differently in the future. Because God's not, God's not hung up on your past. God's real interested in your future. And so what we're trying to do as a church is be interested in your future as well. We learn from the past, but we move on. Make sense? All marriages end in disappointment or, or don't end in disappointment. God. All marriages have disappointment, even the Hugstables. Y'all remember Cliff... And Claire Huxtable, even they fought. Here's an example of how they fought. Why don't we talk about whatever it is we're angry about in the morning and get some sleep, okay? I don't think either of us will be going to sleep anytime soon. Why not? Because when we married, we promised we'd never go to sleep angry. We were younger then. We didn't need as much sleep. Cliff. <laughs> yeah. All right. I'll tell you what. <clears throat> Let's count to three and then stop being angry, okay? That is not going to get it. There has to be an apology first. Okay, I accept your apology. <laughs> oh, no, no. It is you who owe me the apology. For what? For getting us both upset. Well, you got us both upset first. Where's my apology for that? Are you suggesting that I'm the one who owes you an apology? You better believe it. Well, if that's what you're saying, I'm just saying one more thing. What? We are going to sleep angry. Bother me? Don't bother me, don't bother you, don't bother me. <laughs> I didn't want the covers anyway. And another thing is, I was in the Navy, and I slept closer than this to the enemy. Sleeping with the enemy. You ever had to do that? Don't answer again. Something should stay in your mind. Now, whether you are the disappointer or the disappointee, every disappointment in marriage needs a resolution. So what we're going to do is we're going to go back to the Song of Solomon. You remember Solomon? We talked about him last week. We had a lot of fun with, with Solomon. He's like the wisest dude who ever lived. And he told us we were looking at this whole thing about how to, how to have appropriate sex. How, to, how many of you knew that, that the Bible was so pro-sex before last week? Nobody? Jeff did, yeah. He's read the Song of Solomon. Okay, a couple of you did. Um, God is for sex in marriage. And there's some reasons for that. And so get that talk and listen to it. Now... This time, what we're, don't, what we're going to do, though, is we're going to look at how they, how they deal with disappointment, how they deal with problems in the relationship. Not only was Solomon a wise guy, but he picked out a really wise girl. And look what she has to say to him in Song of Solomon 2.15. She says, Quick, 
Catch all the little foxes before they ruin the vineyard of your love, for the grapevines are all in blossom. All right, here we go back to that poetry trash um, that I have to have you know, help on to understand. Maybe you're like me. Here's, here's a, the picture. Foxes are not very big. They work silently. They, have, they are known for their ability to destroy entire crops when nobody even knew they were out there. They're almost invisible, almost completely silent, and that's what they're known for. So this wise girl is saying to the wise dude, pay attention. She's asking him to help solve the problems that are cropping up in their relationship, and if, they're not, if they don't pay attention to them, it's going to destroy the relationship. Now, I want you to think about foxes. If they're moving around, they're silent, they're, they're, they're destroying things, they're almost invisible. Think about the things in relationships that could be related to this idea of the fox. It could be little white lies. It could be selfishness. It could be lack of trust. It could be pride. It could be uh, an unforgiving spirit. Foxes have been ruining vineyards as long as there have been people and foxes on this planet. And they're going to continue to do that long after you and I have left this planet. So she's saying, let's do some preemptive work and figure out how to deal with these disappointments so that we can get back to the dream that we had. It's perfectly normal to be disappointed with others, but if you don't learn to deal with disappointment God's way, it will move you further down this slope away from your dream. And in a relatively short amount of time, you'll have moved from dream to disappointment to the third stage in your, in your relationship, which is discouragement. Discouragement. Now, you've got you to catch this. Disappointment is not only unavoidable in relationships... It's also necessary to get you where you want to go in your relationship. Now, I want you to say, say what? All right, let me, let me repeat that. Disappointment is not only unavoidable in your relationships, it's also necessary to get you where you want to go. Y'all, we've got to work on this. Okay, now, here's the deal. As you begin to realize that your spouse is not the perfect dream that you thought they were, you move away from this unrealistic expectation that you had anyway, and, and disappointment handled God's way will drive you to God. You go to God and you say, Oh, God, I cannot handle this human being. And God says, Good, now i got you where I want you. And God's, God's desire when He puts you in a marriage is not to make you happy. Just get over that right now. You know what God's desire is in marriage? It's to make you holy, to make you look more like Christ. And uh, actually, you can look at it this way. The, the more difficult your spouse is to live with, the more opportunity you have to look like Christ, you know, so you could celebrate. Um, but, but the whole point is God wants you to look like Christ. He wants you to bear the family resemblance. If you are a follower of Christ, you're a child of God, and He wants you to look like God, and many times He does that through your spouse. God does not want to fix your spouse. God wants to fix you. And many times He does that through your spouse. So... You go to this new level of love. If I respond to my wife out of my love and relationship for Christ, I move to a level that was never possible naturally because I have stepped into the supernatural realm and that's impossible without God's Spirit living inside of me. Um, so if we deal with this disappointment correctly, then we turn around and we move back towards the dream. We're going to be disappointed. We learn how God uh, wants us to deal with disappointment. It moves us back to the top of the mountain towards the dream stage. 
But if we don't deal with disappointment God's way, we move further down the mountain. And it's at this stage that you begin to focus more on the negative than the positive. Got any folks in your family or in your relationships that deal with that? All you ever hear about their spouse is negative. And by the way, you will never hear me say a negative thing about my spouse. You're not going to hear it. I'll tell you all the negative stuff about me. One of the worst things you can do for your marriage is air your negative opinions in front of others. Because what's going to happen? It will get back to them. There's just nothing good that's going to happen there. Now, so you, you begin to focus on the negative and not the positive. You allow unhealed hurts to fester. Your hopes for a dream marriage begin to die a slow death. You stop working on behalf of your spouse. You lose energy from the relationship instead of gain energy from the relationship. And you actually find ways to shrink back from conversation, to shrink back from intimacy, because it's just not worth it. You, you shrink back from resolving conflicts because it's just too much work to deal with somebody like that. And even though you may not be ready to file for divorce, you are far down this mountain from where God wants you to be, from God's ideal. And if you do not learn where you are and how to get back to the top, then your marriage is just going to keep sliding. Stage four is distance. All right? This distance. Now, I want you to listen to this and see if you know folks or if you have experienced this yourself. Folks at this stage live separate lives. It's like they're strangers and they're not even good roommates because at least roommates um, have some consideration for other people in the house. But when you're at this stage, when you're at the distance stage... Um, there's no consideration for anyone else living in the home. Spouses who've reached this stage can actually go out to eat, order their food, eat their food, pay the bill, leave, and never speak to one another. And you've probably seen it. They are bored with each other. They no longer find each other exciting. Um, They no longer find um, each other interesting. They are bored with everything, even the bedroom, even the sexual relationship. And so how do you exist at the distant stage? Well, you fill your life with other things. You become um, preoccupied with children, career, with other activities, so that you anesthetize that void that you fill in, in your life, that you feel in your life, that's supposed to be filled by your spouse. And uh, you eventually lose track of each other. And the saddest part is, neither one of them really seems to care. And they're lonely... They're lonely folks living under the same roof. And I tell people this all the time. Because I deal with folks usually way past this stage. I deal with folks down here at stage 6 and stage 7 when only a miracle of God will save their marriages. It is better for you to be single and lonely than to be married under the same roof and be lonely. That is a soul-level loneliness that, that you do not want. So it would be better for you to stay single until you, until you find the person that you, you're ready to commit to and, and they're ready to commit to you. Uh, this is where just another aspect of their marriage dies. And if they don't learn how to deal with it, then they are, um, they're going to move to the next stage, which is disconnect. Disconnect. Now, here's the really sad part about this. When you're at the disconnect stage, you no longer feel that your spouse is a safe person to share your deepest longings and secrets with. 
Um, how many of you would walk up to a perfect stranger and start pouring out your guts to them? Anyone? Some of you would talk to this post here, but, but okay. You wouldn't walk up to a perfect stranger and share your deepest, darkest secrets, but I'm willing to bet you'd be more willing to talk to a perfect stranger than you would be to talk to your spouse because at least the perfect stranger has not hurt you and the spouse at this stage has become a constant source of pain. So what you've done is you've built all of these protective walls around your heart and you stuck your heart in a, in a vault in the middle of that because you've said, they will never hurt me again and you refuse to let them in. And that's understandable. But, but God has created us with this soul-level need to connect with other people, with other human beings. One of the things when God said in, in uh, Genesis, let us create them in our image, God is in this uh, perpetual state of existence. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. It's incredible communion, fellowship, and God designed us with that desire to connect with other human beings. And the most close, intimate relationship is supposed to be the relationship between a husband and a wife, but when we are... Um, when we're really honest, we have to admit that that's not what's happening. Now, here's what happens when you get to this disconnect stage and you, you don't trust the other person and your heart is locked up. You might begin to share your hurts and your feelings with someone else of the opposite sex. And let me just tell you, you don't want to go there. And let me just tell you, when I counsel couples, I will never ever counsel a woman without my woman, without my woman, without my wife being there. Because this is just a dangerous place to be. I'll just, I'll just let you know that. I don't ride in cars with women that aren't my spouse or aren't related to me. I don't ride with them alone. And, and I'm not going to be in a room alone with anybody other than my spouse or someone related to me if they're the opposite sex. Because what happens is you begin to connect with people that you share your heart with. And it is a short step between sharing my mind and my emotions with someone before I'm going to want to share my body with them. And so someone at the disconnect stage, you begin to pour out your heart to someone of the opposite sex, and what happens before long... Now, this is not an excuse. I am not condoning adultery. I'm just saying this is the way the enemy works. When you are lonely in a relationship and you can't stand the other person because they've hurt you so much, you open up your heart to someone else and they listen and you begin to connect to them... Your mind goes there. Your emotions go there. If you do not cut it off, your body will go there and you'll commit adultery. It's not an affair. It's not an indiscretion. The Bible calls it sin. Let's just call it what it is. Let's not try to dress it up so that we can feel better about it. It is sin. And when you go there, you, have, you are trying to do life in a God-forbidden way. You will never receive the blessing of God when you try to do life in a God-forbidden way. It doesn't make sense. So um, when you get to this stage, you, uh, you are disconnected and you do not feel like you're on the same team. And if you're not on the same team, what are you? I mean, just think of sports. If you're not on the same team, what do we say? That's the opponent. <laughs> and that leads us to the next stage. If you're opponents, stage six is discord. Open hostility. And you've probably seen it. If you're my opponent and not my friend or my lover, it becomes easier to disrespect you, to not worry about your feelings and your thoughts and your attitudes. Here, at this stage, simple disagreements can erupt into fights. And they often do. These marriages always, when you're around these people, it always seems like there's this undercurrent going on. It's like the tremblers you feel before a volcano erupts. 
because the volcano is about to erupt and it's no fun to be around folks like this. All that matters is winning at all costs. You will say things, you will do things with the, with the specific purpose of trying to inflict as much damage on the other person as possible. And um, sex, oh please. At this stage, you begin to disgust one another. Um, and, and listen to this, this blows my mind. A lot of folks who, because um, I'm going to tell you how long it takes to get, to get to this stage if you're not careful. And it's amazing how quickly this can happen. Um, in fact, I'll just go ahead and tell you. One, one author says that a good marriage in two years, two years for a good, solid, strong marriage can move from dream all the way down to discord if they don't pay attention to things. If a good marriage can do that in two years, how long does it take for somebody who um, is in a bad marriage? Not long. And some of you are going to say, whoa, I know people a lot faster than two years they blew up. Well, I'm willing to bet that in their dating relationship, lots of people saw red flags and said, oh, dear God, let them not get married. And then they did something. They went ahead and got married because they thought that marriage would fix their problems. There's a Greek word for that, and I need to spell it out for you. S-T, up, in. You think marriage is going to fix the problems you got? That's stupid. All marriage is going to do is magnify the problems in your relationship. And if you haven't learned how to deal with things, you get into a marriage, you're going to slip down that slope real quickly and you're going to, be, you're going to end up at the next stage. The next stage is emotional divorce. If you're at discord or emotional divorce, you need professional counseling like two years ago. Yesterday, you need to run to professionals as fast as you can get there because this is where people come to me. Right here at stage six and stage seven, I'm not a professional counselor. I can tell you what God's Word says, and if you'll do God's Word, you don't have to end up a divorce at any of these stages. Most people do because they haven't learned to identify where they are and they haven't learned what it takes to get back up here to the dream stage. But I'm telling you, I have seen marriages at every step be saved and, be, and become these incredible marriages that other people look up to. I've seen marriages where they've gone through um, adultery. I've seen marriages where there's been physical abuse, where it's been turned around because both spouses turned their lives over to God. Now, emotional divorce. I want you to, to read this quote. This is from uh, Dr. Gary Rosberg. When a couple reaches the point of emotional divorce, the relationship has died. If the couple files for, for divorce... The court's paperwork simply serves as the death certificate for marriage. You know, when someone dies, they're already dead before you get the paperwork. Most marriages are dead long before you get the paperwork. Um, the dream has died, and, and a lot of people don't even get a divorce at stage seven for a variety of reasons. It may be economic. It may be to, to protect the children and stay together for the children. Again... You do not have to get a divorce at this stage, but, but most people do. This stage, you know what needs to happen? A resurrection. This, this sucker is dead. It needs life again. And, and the only person I know who can bring about a resurre resurrection is the one who's been through it, and that's Jesus Christ. And I want you to see what the Bible has to say in Ephesians chapter 1. I pray that you will begin to understand how incredibly great His power is to help those who believe Him. It is that same mighty power that raised Christ from the dead. Have you got that 
on there, Drew? Ephesians 1.19. If you can raise someone from the dead, is that pretty good power? You could probably win phenomenon if you had that kind of power, right? You could be the one that goes on there with Chris Angel and win. That would be pretty good. Well, the Bible says if you're a follower of Christ, the same power that raised Christ Jesus from the dead is available to you. Resurrection power is available to you. So no matter where you are on the map, God says He will help you get back to where you need to be. Turn the tide and start back up there. The choice of whether to move up the marriage map or down the marriage mountain to divorce, the choice is yours. So let's, let's figure out real quickly how to return. And, and I'm going to give you four keys over this, this next two weeks. I'm going to give you one today and then in the last ten minutes that we have. If you want to return to your dream marriage, the very first uh, tool that you need to have in your toolbox is this. Forgiveness. You might just jot this down. It's not on your listening guide to forgive. Here's what forgiveness means. To forgive means to send away or to release. You'll never have the marriage of your dreams if you hold on to the past. Do you forget it? Oh, heavens no. God gave us a memory. But here's how you'll know if you've forgiven someone or not. When, when the topic comes up in conversation, if you can talk about it without feeling that burning pit in your stomach, you've forgiven. If not, you're, you're holding on to a grudge. Uh, and and if, it's, if it's very recent, then, then that's understandable. Wes, come here. Yeah, I heard that. Here's what it's like. Yeah, I am. I'm going to get a stool because you're going to be here a while. Thank you. If you refuse to forgive, hug the pole, buddy. What are you talking about? Who needs a key? Oh, is that good? Uh, yes, very good. Okay. Now, I really don't have the key, so you're going to be there a while. Here's what's happening if you refuse to forgive. You're handcuffing yourself to the past. And a lot of times you're handcuffing yourself to an individual. You've heard that love binds together. Well, so does unforgiveness. And, and here's, here's the bad thing about that. If I'm ready to go to eat... Let's go, Wes. I can't, Doug. I'm handcuffed to a pole. (laughs) (laughs) What happens is other people move on with their lives and you're still stuck in the same place. You know people that are stuck in their past? They cannot get over their past. They're chained to an individual that maybe did something to them 10, 15, 20, 30 years ago. The problem is when you chain yourself to the past, is it begins to stink. You start carrying that rotting corpse around with you and you begin to stink. Maybe not physically, but people don't want to be around you because all you do is bring up the past over and over and over again. Are you with me? Does anybody relate to this? So, is it any wonder no one wants to be married to you if all you do is bring up the past, if you're stuck in the past? And if you come to me for premarital counseling, and please do, let's get some of this stuff fixed before you get married, before there's misery. And I see one of you is, is stuck like this, I will say, time out. You don't need to move forward with your marriage because you're going to have unbelievable misery 
until you get healthy emotionally. So I, I, <laughs> the reason I say that is not because it benefits me if you don't get married. It benefits you. And part of what I believe God has called me to do is help make marriages and families stronger. I can't do that if I'm, if I'm performing ceremonies for people who've not healed from their past. So I'm going to do what I can to help you heal before I stand, because I, I, I stand before God. You know, one of those things that says now, by the laws of God, the authority of God and the laws of this state, I now pronounce you husband and wife. Quite honestly, I take the whole thing of God more seriously than I do the laws of the state. Because how strict are the laws of the state? You just get a paper, you know. God says, one of the last things I say in a marriage ceremony is, therefore what God has joined together, let man not separate. I take that seriously, and I expect everybody that I perform a ceremony for to take that seriously. Now, there have been folks who've gotten divorces that I've done marriage ceremonies for. I've done everything I can, and then it's up to them. If you will live your life by this book, and you will marry someone who lives their life by this book, you have such a greater chance of, of succeeding. In fact, in America, one out of... You having a good time? Okay. One out of every two marriages ends in divorce in America. Did you know that if you will attend church together, it's one out of 50 marriages end in divorce? If you will read your Bible every day, if you will pray with your spouse every day, if you will um, attend church with your spouse every week, you know how many marriages end in divorce? One out of every 1,105. There's something about following God's way that works. So if you're not married and you think that you will be someday, I say follow God with all of your heart and find someone else who will because they're not going to get better after you marry them. That's as good as it gets when you're in the dating relationship. And if they're not willing to commit to God, then you're on your own. Now, you may have to learn this verse right here, Ephesians 4.32. When Janie and I first got married, I quoted this verse. She didn't know this until just recently because I shared it just a few weeks ago. When we first got married, I quoted this verse all the time to myself. Be kind to one another, to each other, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, just as God through Christ has forgiven you. Here's a little news flash for you. I'm not a kind person. I'm mean. I'm not a tender-hearted person. I'm hard-hearted. I'm not a forgiving person. I am unforgiving. So if you've ever seen me tender, kind, or forgiving, it's because of this verse and because of what God has done in my life. Because the, the environment I grew up in, we learned to be hard-hearted. We said things and did things to hurt people because that's the only way we knew. And my wife has... has become this grace-filled person in my life who, whose love for me has just washed away all of the imperfections of our marriage. And she has taught me how to be forgiving. But I had to pray this for two years solid every day because I didn't know how to forgive people. Little things just stuck and they added up. And I didn't know how to do this. And so through the years, God has, has taught me a whole lot of stuff. And, and when I look at this and I look at, at what Jesus did on the cross, it says that, that God forgives us just like... Um, just like He did through Christ. Christ forgave us before we deserved it. And so I don't have an option whether I'm going to forgive you or not. If I'm going to follow Christ, I have to forgive. Um, 
So the reality is that all couples fight, all couples disagree, and the way you fight will determine whether you'll have a good or a bad marriage, whether you'll move back up to the dream stage. Good couples fight clean. Bad couples fight dirty. Good couples press to a resolution. Bad couples press for victory. For good couples, a conflict will expose their character. For bad couples, a conflict will expose their immaturity. So, in order to to reach where you want to go, you're going to have to learn to do things God's way. If I hold on to my grievances... Wes, is that fun being there? No. All right, I'm going to let you loose. If I hold on to the past, not only does it affect me, it affects everybody in my family, all my relationships. Can I get to it? Oh, that'd be sad if I couldn't get to it. No. (laughs) Yeah, there's some people that really want you to stay here. But here's the deal. This is what forgiveness... Wow. Pull this down here. This is what forgiveness is like. If I am in a relationship where I can trust somebody... And and Wes, have we ever had conflict? Sure. (laughs) I can't even tell you some of the conflict that I've had with Wes. Um, You you can go sit in. Wes has become one of my best friends. If we had allowed those walls to stay there, we wouldn't be good friends today. (laughs) They they moved in next door to us. We better be good friends, and we better know how to resolve conflict, right? Um, If you hold those things back, then they pile up and they, they separate you. But if you have an airing of the grievances and you share what's out there, this is what God does, and I just have to read this to you. In 1 John chapter 1, it says that God is light. And in Him there is no darkness at all. And uh, then it goes on to say, um, that's 2 John, or 1 John 2, there we go. It says, so we are lying if we say we have fellowship with God, but go on living in spiritual darkness. If you don't confront little problems, relational problems, you're living in the darkness. So it says you're lying if you say you have fellowship with God, but go on living in spiritual darkness, we are not living in the truth. But if we are living in the light of God's presence, just as, God, just as Christ is, then we have fellowship with each other, and the blood of Jesus His Son cleanses us from every sin. If we say we have no sin, we are only fooling ourselves and refusing to accept the truth. But if we confess our sin, sins to Him, He is faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from every wrong. The Bible says that if you bring things out into the light, when I come to Wes and I say, Dude, you hurt my feelings and I verbalize the problem that I have with him, you know what happens to my problem? Have you, I don't know if you've done this. The offense shrinks when I bring it into the light. Well, man, you, you hurt my feelings because you said I play ball like a girl. Well, it, all of a sudden it starts to shrink. And when I tell my spouse, babe, you know, something you did made me feel hurt my feelings, and I tell her what's going on, it shrinks. And as, as we begin to communicate, our souls begin being knit together. So when I go from disappointment and I can share all of that with her, God begins to bind our hearts together and we begin to move back towards the dream stage. Anybody here want to live at dream stage? <laughs> Some of you, yeah. Oh, yeah, me, me. You're there, all right. Here's the deal. A relationship that can be trusted is a relationship that has been tested and has passed the test repeatedly. I told Janie I would marry her for 50 years. Got 34 more to go, and then we're going to renegotiate. But I've learned that I can trust her. 
No marriage is perfect, but you can move back to the dream stage. And dream doesn't mean that there's no problems. Dream just means that we have matured and we have a healthy, good relationship where we're going to work on things. Now, here's what I want you to do. Take your registration cards, fill them out. And I want... I choose to move up the mountain. Janie and I have had lots of conflict. But I honestly can't tell you the biggest fights that we've had because I've forgotten them. Because we've moved past them. And if you want to have that type of marriage that you're moving back up the mountain, I want you to say, whatever it is that's, that's holding you back, on the back of your registration card, there's someone that you've not forgiven. If, if, if your relationship is stumped, there's someone you've not forgiven. And, and I think you just need to write, I release, and whoever it is, God, today, with your help, I release this person. I forgive this person because I want to move back up the marriage map towards the dream stage. Now, at the back, we have two baskets. We have a joy basket. Woo! 